Welcome to The Math of You, a podcast about formative media from when we were young. I'm Lucas Brown. On this, our 95th episode, it's the return of Emily Booza. Along the way, we discuss how it really is the greatest show, man, how we are people who find it difficult to like things casually, and the sadly truncated story of the web of deceit and murder at the heart of the world's greatest cat trainer. We join this conversation already in progress. habit of getting onto these things and just starting to talk. I've had like three episodes now where I haven't even done the intro. So, Emily, for those who may not know you, why don't you say who you are and what makes you a beautiful and unique snowflake? Well, I'm Emily. I'm the co-host of Whelmed the Young Justice Files podcast. And what makes me a beautiful and unique snowflake, among other things, is that I spent the summer taking circus classes Oh, cool. Which type? Are you doing trapeze or tumbling or what? Lyra. I did Lyra, which is like trapeze, but you are in a stationary hoop instead of a swinging bar. Oh, cool. I describe it to people when I talk to my musical theater friends who will know what I'm talking about. It's what Zendaya does in The Greatest Showman. Oh, cool. See, I was going to say it's Greek money, but... (laughs) It's what? It's it's Greek money. (laughs) The Lyra is the currency of Greece. Sure. Also, you were being super clever and being like, what do you do? Oh, I count the money. And I'm like, (laughs) oh, what? But no, that's really cool. It's an actual thing. I've been to like Christmas parties and stuff where they've done like the hanging ribbon aerial type stuff. Silks. And the ring stuff is always super cool. Yeah, that's the one. Yeah. See, you know all the words because you've been to the classes. (laughs) Yes. Four months of circus training. What prompted that? (laughs) Because. I saw the movie The Greatest Showman when it came out. Of course you did. Because I like me my musicals and I actually, for the longest time, have always been fascinated by circuses and that has only increased since taking circus classes. But I saw The Greatest Showman and I was like, wow, the stuff Zendaya and Zac Efron do in that is so cool. I wish I could learn how to do that. And then I paused for like five minutes and realized, wait, you can. That's definitely a skill someone can teach you. So I just kind of Googled it. The power is yours. I was like, circus schools in the state I live in. And like three popped up. And there was one like 20 minutes from where I live during the summer. And I was like, so I'm going to do that. And I signed up for classes and I just decided to do it and I had a lot of fun with it and I wasn't bad at it I was decent at it by the end of the summer I was pretty good at it that's so cool there are photos and videos on my twitter if people dig I should probably reshare those at some point 
Yeah, you're going to have to. Because I have a couple of friends who were involved in Circus Oz when they were at university. And so you see a lot of people who have, you know, basic juggling knowledge and stuff like that. And I know some people who are involved in clowning and stuff. But then my friend Julia uh, decided to do like some trapeze type classes. And that was shortly followed by a lot of her Instagram posts suddenly being about going to the gym and getting stronger in her arms because, oh my God. Yeah. The weirdest thing is that I, because I, for years, for 12 years, 11, it was 11 years, I did ballet. I did ballet for 11 years, elementary through high school, all the way through high school. My legs are ridiculously strong because that's what dance does to you. You get very strong <laughs> legs. And then doing circus, like that comes in handy. I was very good at doing things that were like, your legs are just going to hold you in the air. I'm like, I can do that. That's fine. My legs are used to holding me in the air. <laughs> Basically. But by the end of the summer, I was actually like building up arm strength and being like wait what is this my arms don't look like this what is this new phenomenon oh it's muscle that's a thing i can have so what you're saying is if i need to get a box from the store to the car i don't need to kick it all the way there i can actually lift it now basically yeah. it's revolutionary it was it was crazy because i'm a nerd with a podcast i'm not super athletic and then i remember that i'm like no you did dance for 11 years and did circus training on a whim you're vaguely athletic. Oh, I forgot. We had Hub Hubbard talking about sports on the podcast, and I talked to Chris yeah. Sims about lifting really heavy things. He like does like a deadlift of like 315 pounds or something. So I'm like, yeah, maybe this is just going to be like a really athletic podcast from here on out. <laughs> it's a new world. I'm not saying I'm going to do any of them, but I can talk to people about them. Because <laughs> like I've talked to people about it because like ballet and Lyra are two very different arts, but like have some similarities in the way that they look. Like if you compare poses from each, you're like, ah, I can see those lines look kind of similar. Okay, yeah, it makes sense. Yeah, and I realized like halfway through a summer of circus training, I was like, oh, it's not that I'm unathletic. It's that I don't like competitive athleticism. Like I don't want to do a sport, but if you're like, here's an athletic thing that is all about you looking pretty and being creative and doing a thing that's like graceful and elegant. I'm like, yeah, no, I'm here for that. That's fun. Doing that in an environment of people who are all supporting each other instead of competing against each other. I'm like, I'm here for that. That's the kind of athletic thing I like to do. Oh, it took me 20 years to figure that out, but... <laughs> No, that's great. So, irony, you mentioned The Greatest Showman, and I yes. had actually not engaged myself in that film or soundtrack until yes. last time we spoke, <laughs> because you had me put the intro song yes. as your walk-up music, and that was on my playlist for a long time, and it really started to hook me. And so, my girlfriend loves musicals, has always loved musicals, like to the point where I didn't know this until we were watching a silly video on the internet where a person in a T-Rex suit does I Hope I Get It from a Chorus Line. And <laughs> I noticed that she was singing along and knew all the words. It was like, how many boys, how many girls, how many people do they need? And I went, wait, what? And she goes, yeah, I love musicals. And I'm like, why have we never talked about this before? We've been together for like four years. And so since, like, we've both been much more open about loving musicals. And so as part of her Christmas present, we had just gotten a, a 4K Blu-ray player and I got her Coco and The Greatest Showman. And she watched it and loved, loved, loved the music. She's actually been blasting this reimagined soundtrack in her car for yeah. like pretty much since then. It's a very catchy musical. It is. Emily Booza, And it is your fault. <laughs> 
well, you're welcome. I take full <laughs> responsibility. No, it's it was <laughs> it was a movie that we saw on like a matinee randomly. Like we were like, oh, this looks kind of fun, and like my mom knows that at that point I was like. I liked reading books about circuses. I liked that concept and that setting. And we're like, oh, it's Hugh Jackman. It's all these. Let's go see it. And we saw it in the middle of the afternoon. And literally, the way I describe it is we sat down and I was like, I don't know. There's been some bad press. This might not be great. We'll see. And we sat down and a minute into the film, I started crying. Of course he did. And then it just went from there. And I was like, I am fully invested. Oh, like we we can take a step to the side and say that yes, compared to the, the real PT Barnum, yeah, it's problematic as hell. Uh, oh but yeah, then, yeah, yeah. Then stepping back into the center where we're happy about stuff, it's a good musical. I have an entire TED talk basically. Oh yes. About the fact that because people point out a lot that the Greatest Showman is incredibly historically inaccurate, and it is. I'm never going to try to fight somebody on that, but I do have basically a whole thesis on the fact that I personally think that the film is intentionally historically inaccurate as a reflection of the way that P.T. Barnum's circus and circuses in general at that time were built on artifice and how the real message of the film is that things don't need to be real to matter. That's clever. I like that. And it matches the tone of the film. Yeah, it's really good. I have a whole TED talk on this. (laughs) (laughs) That, like, if people give me a minute, I'm like, literally, if this comes up in conversation and people are willing to listen to me for 15 minutes, I'm like, so I have a lecture. Would you like to hear it? (laughs) Yeah. And it begins with the words, sit down. Hey, so. (laughs) Basically. No, because it's it's a lot. And I'm not going to go into it here because that's not what we're here to talk about. But I really love this movie. We'll link to your YouTube TED Talk. (laughs) (laughs) If I ever, if I ever get around to actually doing it you should i, th- I think that's a, a thing is i've read your twitter i know you can talk at length <laughs> you are a great user of the 240 character limit a thing that occasionally strains my credulity when i have to write one of them in cursive <laughs> so i think you have that in you thank you i want to raise something briefly about about the Granny showman thing is this is something where i've talked to my friend annie creighton who also loves musicals yes she was talking about the adaptation of into the woods yes And it dovetailed with something I heard Linda Holmes saying about that same adaptation, which is that when you do a movie musical, what your goal should be, especially if if you're adapting something that was on the stage, is you want to do something that you could only do in a movie that you couldn't do on the stage. So, for example, when you've got two princes singing Agony, you put it on the top of an actual waterfall and have them like springing from cliff to cliff as they rip their shirts apart, talking about their male pain. And it's like something ridiculous like that you can do in a film that you can't do on a show, or at least not as well on a show. And what I liked about The Greatest Showman is there's one particular set piece, and I'm going to forget the song and you'll remind me in a minute. Probably, yes. Where Zac Efron and Hugh Jackman are in the bar and he's trying to convince them to come. The other side, which is so fun. Which is so fun. And what I loved is all the bits of business with the shot glasses and the bottles and them jumping up onto a stool or jumping up onto the bar and they slam back against a wall and all the pictures move. And there's so many bits of business going on in that scene. And I'm looking at it and I'm like, that would be like a logistical nightmare to put on stage. Think about it. You've got actual full glasses sliding down the length of a bar, spilling, being thrown over shoulders. And I'm like, that's like an occupational health and safety nightmare 
all it takes is someone to slip and you've got, you know, Spider-Man into the dark happening all over again. Yep. And it's such a high energy number as well, where it's like you got dancing and you get jumping and singing and it's very quick and pattery. And that's something that can only be done when you can occasionally cut away and be like, all right, everyone take a breath. We reset. We go from one. It's so good. And there are some bloopers that they've posted online from that scene <laughs> that are just that like, because Hugh Jackman has to do so many hat tricks in this movie, but that one he had to do several. And they have so many clips of him trying to do these certain hat tricks and just messing them up, them spilling all of the whiskey on the counter and just being like, okay, <laughs> back to one reset. And it's wonderful because that's what you can do in a movie musical. You can do this crazy stuff like this movie. Like I understand some people like the historical inaccuracy or like the plot's kind of thin. I get it. I get it. But this movie is visually stunning. Mm -hmm. And every song sequence is at a 12. And I'm like, this is insane. And I love it. <laughs> yeah, totally. But before this turns into... Emily rants about The Greatest Showman, which she could do. <laughs> what else should we talk about? Oh, no, no. I am, I am pulling away, man. We're on these tracks. We're going to keep going. <laughs> okay. I just don't... If you if you have questions, I don't want to stop you from just from me over here being like, so... I do, and we'll get into those later. But, Emily Booza, if this show has taught me anything, when we reach a rich vein like this, we're not going to go, you know what? Maybe we'll tap that vein tomorrow. No way. <laughs> Tell me more about The Greatest Showman and the things you like about it. Everything. <laughs> now I'm just like, God, what do I even say? Okay, well, let's stick, let's stick on that, that vein of, again, stuff you can do in a movie that you can't do on a stage. And, I mean, even just talking about the aerial work and the stuff, like the, the Lira, the stuff that you've been learning, yes. right? Yes. And this idea where it's like, anytime you've got someone, you know, suspended above an audience, it's extremely dangerous. But it's like, yes. you can still make this exciting while keeping it safe, you know? Yes. And that I actually, to get to that, to get to that beautiful scene that is an aerial duet between Zendaya and Zac Efron that is just out of 12. One, when I first saw the movie, the lead up to that scene, for people who have no idea what we're talking about... There's this whole thing. They're supposed to be going out on a date. Someone insults her. It's all this thing. She runs out. He runs after her. And I literally in the theater was just thinking, I'm like, you two better have like a dramatic duet down down the sidewalk in this like whatever fake New York backlot tour thing we're going to have here. Please give me this. And the movie was like, I'll do you one better. I'm like, how? They're like, aerial duet. I'm like, okay, that is one better. Uh and that scene is beautiful and gorgeous to the point that I wrote and put online. There is a full essay film analysis article thing that I wrote talking about how that scene is kind of a masterclass in visual storytelling because that has to deal with all of the complex issues of their relationship in one song because you got to wrap things up and do stuff and they do it through having the choreography mean something it is not just pretty it is not just it is pretty but it's not just pretty it's actually telling a story through the choreography that both adds to and contrasts with the lyrics and it's a lot it's a whole essay if you go to my twitter there is a link to my website that has a couple of film articles i have written including that one that is called rewriting the stars visual storytelling and the greatest showman well there you go <laughs> Because I apparently don't know how to like things casually. 
it's a it's a real problem. Welcome to the club. Because if I like something, because <laughs> I have friends who are like, yeah, this movie's so fun. I like it. I listen to the soundtrack all the time, and I'm like. Okay, but I went and wrote an essay because it's a really good movie and I don't know how else to express how much I love this thing. <laughs> <laughs> it also has, like, and that's the thing, you're, you're among your people, Emily. You could say yes. that, you know, I am someone who has heard the phrase, wow, that certainly was a lot of information about Hamilton, you've just told me. <laughs> From the mother of my child. And I am good friends with people who have heard things like, well, now I know what your favorite Robin is. <laughs> Hi, Alex Hardison. I'm talking about you and your extremely patient girlfriend. <laughs> yes, yes. But it's like, I'm, I'm trying, I'm just like, like thinking back. I'm like, which of these many threads from this show can I talk about? <laughs> Pick any and all. I am always a fan of when someone can casually eviscerate someone else through music. And so, for example... Let's talk about Never Enough. <laughs> and how it is a knife coring an apple to the soul of 1PT Barnum. It is so much. Oh, and it, it is, it's, it's crushing. Go ahead, go. It is so much. It is one, it's fantastic because it is both like a, be- it's a song within a musical that is actually a song that is supposed to be a performance, which can always like, depending on how you're doing this, be a little little iffy but they pull it off and part of the way is that like the song itself technically doesn't advance the plot but everything happening around the song advances the plot so like during this performance everything is happening in backstage and in the audience and all of this stuff and i'm like peak this is great combine that with the fact that part of my crazy ted talk because i can't (laughs) i can't believe this came up is the fact that her character Jenny Lind, her character is presented as supposedly the only real talent Barnum ever found, is how everyone refers to her. Because she's she's not some sideshow oddity. She's an actual opera singer. She's real talent. She is the only character in the film who is dubbed by a different actress. So the only supposedly real talent in the film is the only one who is quote unquote fake. And they don't, they don't even try to hide this. Like, if you look at the soundtrack, the soundtrack clearly lists that she is, her singing voice is another person. I'm like, you could have cast an actress who had the voice that you needed for this. You didn't. You purposefully cast someone and then dubbed them. And I firmly believe that that just further plays into my idea that this is, film is actually all about how things don't have to be real to matter. Yeah. It's, yeah, it, it's that meta level of, oh yeah, this is extra fake, Cause also, like the song's real good. Yeah, because this exists in a film in which all of our other main characters who are like brushed off as like, well, they're just weird sideshow characters, are all mm-hmm. world-class dancers. Our Kiala Settle, who plays the bearded lady, is a Broadway actress who has a voice like an angel. You have Zac Efron and Zendaya doing as much of the aerial work as they would let them. (laughs) (laughs) Like, we want to do everything. And they were like, we want to have you do everything, but we need you to not die. So (laughs) One of those please don't die contracts. (laughs) Basically. So I'm like, you did, you went out of your way to be like, everything's real. And then the one person that the narrative tells you is real isn't. So, let me extrapolate forever. It's important, but it doesn't matter. Yes. (laughs) 
God, I have I have a lot of thoughts about this film. I did not expect to sit down and just talk about the greatest showman today. <laughs> but but here we are. It's very on brand for me. It's very on brand for me. Yes. And then in the revisited album, they gave that to Kelly Clarkson, who can just wring yes. every drop of emotion out of that. Yes. And just like have you sitting in your car like squirming uncomfortably as you're sure you're being judged for something. What do you got? <laughs> oh, it's so it's so good. And it's such a well-written song because if you're not paying attention, you think it's about someone saying that like they are full of endless ambition and nothing will ever be enough for them. But if you're actually paying attention to the lyrics, it's about how nothing actually matters unless you have people you care about. Mm -hmm. And so it's like, you got to pay attention. Things are happening fast in this musical. Pay attention to the lyrics and songs have 12 meanings. Not quite 12, (laughs) maybe two, but... Sometimes 12. Hey, I'm not the boss of you. (laughs) Yeah, I really like The Greatest Showman. (laughs) I like The Greatest Showman enough that I went and took circus class lessons. Uh, that's that's me. That's who I am as a person. I'm just saying, circus classes out there, if any of you are listening, proprietors of circus classes, if you don't make a special like sandwich board poster that references The Greatest Showman, then you're missing a trick. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's like... Like you got to capitalize on it because I'm from Connecticut where I grew up and it's where I spend my summers in Connecticut we actually have the P.T. Barnum Museum because P.T. Barnum is from Connecticut it's a whole thing and when The Greatest Showman came out and as it was gaining popularity I can't remember if it was a library in Connecticut or if it was the actual P.T. Barnum Museum had a whole th- it might have been at the Mark Twain house because that's one of the other things we have did a like talk one day did a lecture that people could come see that was talking about the differences between the actual history of P.T. Barnum and the film and discussing them in an open forum type thing I did not get a chance to go to it but like that was a thing that existed in my state because this is part of our history we've got this weird circus man was it titled something to the effect of The Real Greatest Showman? Probably. Or The Reality Behind The Greatest Showman. It better have been. God. And look, I mean, I'm all for the fact of places that are historically relevant being used in pop culture and that pop culture directing back to the history. Hey, I walked around Boston for the first time following the Freedom Trail because I knew it from Fallout 4. <laughs> I went to Old North Church and I went, there's a death claw in the basement. You have to fight her and steal her egg. And then people were like, oh, it's, it's relevant for other reasons. Like, I'm sure. I'm not from this country. And yeah, it's, it's like I pointed to the swan boats and I'm like, there's a big super mutant that comes out of the fountain and he's got one of those stuck to his back and you got to fight him. He's really tough. Yeah. I loved The Greatest Showman. I really, I'm fascinated by circuses. I, I've read Water for Elephants. I've read The Night Circus. Both really good books if people are interested mm-hmm. in learning other circus narratives because this is a weird subgenre I have saved on my Goodreads account. <laughs> I have a Goodreads shelf on my reading app that is just called Runaway with the Circus where I put all of my books about the circus. Both of those, a bunch of other stuff. PBS did a real cool four hour in total, two episodes, two hours each documentary about the history of the American circus, which was fascinating because learning the complicated and wonderful and troubling history of circuses in the United States is cool. 
because I'm a nerd. <laughs> I sat down and watched that one day. I was like, yes, PBS, I will watch a four-hour documentary about the history of the circus because that's the kind of person I am. Hey, I stand by it. If you get a good documentary on something that's got like a really good narrator and a really good kind of directed narrative, then yeah, plunk me down in front of anything. I will learn about anything. I mean, like I yep. on a whim sat down and watched. If you, heard, I don't know how how actually well known it is. I found it on, on like completely random. It's called American Epic. It's like a three part series on like the history of like blues and roots music being recorded in America, and it's narrated by Robert Redford, and it's really really good and well researched. Like they found anyone who is still alive or their relatives that lived during that time of like the people who trekked uh, overland in a Model T Ford for like two days to get to record one record on wax. And so that record could be produced like the Carter family and stuff. It was really, really interesting. That sounds really interesting. Yeah. And stuff like how the technology of recording had been miniaturized to the point where you could fit it on the back of a wagon pulled by a horse. And it's like, that was something that was this huge, like, revolutionary thing, because then you could go to these little towns where there was one person who could play the fiddle real well. And that was then recorded in some of the earliest recordings. And then it went to, like, revival show stuff. And yeah, it was really, really good. And yeah, at no point did I think, I'm going to sit down and watch four and a half hours about (laughs) these very old-timey recordings. But then you're invested. Yeah, didn't think I would, but there I was. And then I sent the link to my dad, and it was like, he was hooked, and he got my stepdad onto it. And yeah, it was just one of those things where <laughs> it just kind of spread. And it's funny, because there was the one, the one I was watching, because the history of the circus is so long and so complicated, and there have been so many decades and eras of crazy stuff attached to the circus. There were certain things that PBS had to just be like, we don't even have time to unpack all of this but (laughs) and would just like make a statement and then move on and i'm like okay but go back because you could do an entire two-hour documentary about the woman that you just summed up as she wanted to be a cat trainer but nobody would hire her so she found the best cat trainer there was in the circus business married him learned everything she could and then got rid of him and that's all they said and they moved on and i'm like okay that's but what do you mean she got rid of him did she divorce (laughs) him did she kill him i have questions but you have moved on to something else did she hover by an open window until he leaned out and then you kicked him out and it's like (laughs) a complicated series of traps involving pulleys and a box And that was like one minute of screen time in this documentary. And I'm like, okay, but do we have time to go back for a second? Because I have some questions. I look forward to your new musical, The Greatest Cat Trainer. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, God. Yeah, no. If people if people people want to go learn about the circus, if you're the kind of nerd that I am and find that particular part of American history kind of fascinating, PBS, real good one. You can find it on Amazon for like four dollars. It's good. A thousand claws. <laughs> <laughs> what? No, I was just thinking of a thousand. Like, was it was a million dreams or whatever. A thousand dreams. Now I'm blanking. See, you you called me on my joke, and now I'm like, shit, justify it. I was just thinking of like, how would you rewrite the greatest show about cats? It would be chaos. It would be chaos, and we couldn't do it. Look, anything involving cats is chaos. True, as someone with several. True. 
Never enough of it's about a litter box that wasn't cleaned enough. We have gone off the rails. The other side is about a fence you can't climb. We have gone off the rails. Oh, the other side is about... Oh, yeah, you can see it. It's like an indoor cat, and it's like there's a cat on the other side of the fence, and the, the musical number happens on the top of the fence. Like, yeah, oh, this could totally work. We could do this. Open casting starts next week. <laughs> Must sing and dance and bring on cat ears. Have I broken you, Emily? <laughs> yes. Yes, you have. <laughs> All feline version of The Greatest Show. This is This is for the best. Yeah. Except for the one character, oh, except for the one character who is the trainer, who is played by an actual cat. <laughs> or if we could get him, what's Ian McKellen doing right these days? I'm sure he's got time. <laughs> and I've, I've completely broken you. This is the best. <laughs> like I don't. I can't even respond. I'm laughing too hard. Oh, God. (laughs) I'm fine. I'm pulling myself together. You are a normal person who has normal feelings about stuff. Yes. So So. I suppose we could talk about your actual, like, massive, huge professional news. If you want. I mean, we we could easily talk about movie musicals for ages. We could. I mean, we could talk about make him laugh from singing in the rain how it's the greatest performance known to man but you know what no no we're not going to focus on musicals anymore we are going to talk about how you're famous now (laughs) well that's not true and how you slumming it here with this podcast so none of that's true uh uh no so let's talk about what's been happening like the last was it like the last six months that you haven't been able to talk about it yeah Listeners, if you haven't listened to the previous episode or somehow are under a rock, Emily and Rich Howard, also former guests of the show, and I was a guest on Whelmed and talked to Rich, and we talked about Usaki Ojimbo and how to create living worlds. And then he mentioned that he brought me up to Stan Sakai, and I died a little bit inside. <laughs> so Young Justice is a TV show, and Whelmed, The Young Justice Files, is a podcast about the TV show. And you guys got a very special invite. And that you weren't allowed to talk about, and now you're famous. So I'm just going to turn the mic over to one Emily Booza, and you can tell me what the hell's been happening for the past six months. So all of that's true up to the point of, and now you're famous. That part's not true. But over the summer, we got contacted by DC Universe, by the people who make content for the DC Universe streaming site. And they were like, hey, we're doing this thing would you like to be involved? And we're like, sure. Even though all of that was happening out in Hollywood, California, out there, and Burbank, not Hollywood. And I live on the East Coast. We still said sure. And then we figured it out. And so I got flown out to the other side of the country to meet up with Rich and our producer, Neil, who is also fantastic. Both of them are great. And we got to record commentary tracks for episodes of Young Justice season one and two for what they were calling Young Justice Enhanced. That's a thing that I'm in that people can see me in on the DC Universe site. We did five episodes and we just got to watch Young Justice and say things and point out Easter eggs and talk about how much we love Young Justice. And it was a lot of fun. I'm still wrapping my head around the fact that it was a thing that I got to do. <laughs> I mean, y'all have gotten legitimate. 
you even placed at Caesar's feet and he lifted you up and said, <laughs> this is my podcast. Not quite, but... Sorry, hey. sorry for that the particularly weird reference. I was watching Cleopatra last night, so... <laughs> well, there you go. Yeah, no, they'd heard about us. They... Um, if, if I remember correctly, they heard about us because Greg and Brandon, the creators of Young Justice, had mentioned us because they listen to Whelmed because my life is weird. Because, no, I no, I remember this. They listened to Whelmed because you're single-handedly responsible for bringing the show back for its third season. No, that's not true. <laughs> that is a myth perpetuated by liars. Um, Mostly by me. No, uh, we do not take credit for that. We don't want to take credit for that. Yeah, I, I asked Rich the same question. He like it was revived like when the second episode came out. I'm like, but yeah. the first episode was at first, so that was purely the impetus for it. <laughs> He's like, no, stop saying that. Seriously, we don't want to take more credit than we have. But they mentioned us, and when they were trying to get together people that they thought would be a good fit, they're like, these podcast people seem like they know what they're doing. So we got to go out, and we got to do that, and. Completely unrelated to that, I also, because Rich just knows people, and that's Rich's superpower, uh, while I was out in California, we set up a lunch with some of the casting crew from Young Justice just one day while I was out there, and that was the thing I got to do. So on a scale of 1 to 10, how cool were you? I kept it together. Oh, I'm so proud of you, Emily. <laughs> that's that's the real thing. That's the, I kept it together. My brain just kept having to reset and be like, no, this is your reality. Keep up. Keep up. I met Stephanie Lemlin and talked about The Greatest Showman with her, <laughs> which was the most hilarious thing. See, we bring it all together. <laughs> yes, tying it all back around because creative people flock to the same forms of media, apparently, and it just somehow came up in conversation. And that was fun. It was a wild adventure, and that was great. And we have been so thankful for that opportunity and that getting us out into the world. And we've gotten to be on the DC Daily news and talk show that DC Universe does since then. And that's been fantastic. Yeah, no, it's just life is weird and wonderful. And I am so thankful for everything that this cartoon has let me do. Because 13-year-old Emily would not believe my life. Back when you were writing the fan fiction? <laughs> Just a little 13-year-old Emily watching, watching her Saturday morning cartoons would be like, what do, you, what do you mean we grow up and get to professionally work with the DC Universe? What do you mean that's a thing? One, what do you mean we get a third season? Two, what do you mean we're involved with the DC Universe site? <laughs> Speaking of which, the new season has come out, debuted in January, right? Yes, it did. So here's the thing. I'm, I'm trying to remember because were you doing the second season all in one go or ha were you doing them as they came out? When the second season of Young Justice was coming out, my timeline is all scattered because I saw things out of order. But season two had already finished on TV when you started season two recaps, right? Yes, for years. Season two, because mm -hmm. the show wrapped up originally back in 2014. I'm going to say yeah, 2014. Yeah, okay, that makes sense. Right. And we weren't talking about it until 2018. So it was, it okay, was well, fully so wrapped yeah. up. So I suppose four years had passed, I guess. Right. Okay, yeah. so considering that your show is so much about really being able to view the wider picture, to take every piece in its place in the bigger picture. Yes. What are your thoughts towards now being like, okay, well, it's coming out episode by episode. How do I approach it critically with an eye towards, well, I have a podcast about this now, <laughs> and not just it's something you can yell about. 
because I know that's how I would approach it. Do you view it in a new way in where it's like, oh, now I have this thing where I'm engaged on this whole different level? Yes, but it's <laughs> like I'm, try I'm trying to process and think because it's part of it is like it has been so many years since there was new Young Justice. So I, as a person, have grown and matured. I am no longer a 13-year-old girl, despite what my Twitter comments may occasionally appear. Yeah, damn it. You're someone who writes TED Talks about musicals. <laughs> Which 13-year-old me would absolutely believe would be something 100%. we would do. So part of it is like I have a more critical eye in general approaching media now but part of it is the fact that they have released the way that they released episodes for season three was in chunks of three every week we were not getting one new episode we were getting three so that allows you to make some connections at least between those three episodes and for the podcast what we literally did because we were like approaching this and we're like we can't do weekly breakdowns if we don't have at least a decent amount of this season out for us to build on so we <laughs> created a series of episodes called scream something where <laughs> after every three new episodes every week me and rich would do a very basic summary and then just kind of scream about everything <laughs> all of the stuff that we loved or noticed or had feelings about in just a very condensed we are covering three episodes in one hour let's go type of thing. And now that we have a full half season out, we are doing episode by episode breakdowns. We've just started recording those to be released over the next couple of months as we make even more connections with it and realize, oh, that thing in the first episode was leading up to that thing in the, in the 23rd episode. Oh, of course. Of course it would. How did we not guess that? Trust me, I'm steeped in Transformers more than meets the eye comics where literally a semicolon that was mentioned in issue four came back in like issue I think 38 as a critical plot point to save the day so uh yeah i know about the long game yeah yeah fucking james roberts it's what young justice does it's really funny talking about this here on a podcast about formative media the week that young justice season three premiered for the first time was a weird week of feeling like a 13 year old girl again but in a good way in a not life is chaos and middle school is full of drama kind of way but in a all of my favorite media is coming back because at the same week young justice came out was the same week that a ya author that i love and grew up with published his first book in seven years oh wow yeah christopher paolini who wrote the inheritance cycle that people yeah the aragon books as some people know them that have beautiful jewel-toned dragons on all of the covers wrote all of those books and they the last one the fourth and final book in that series came out when i was in eighth grade and i loved it and the ending made me so happy and broke my heart all at the same time and we have since then always been like, are you ever going to return to this world? Are you ever going to write more with these characters? Please say yes. And he has always been like, yeah, eventually I will. And then seven years later, out of nowhere, he's like, so I wrote you a short story collection, fans. Here you go. <laughs> that was set supposed to be set a year after the end of the series. And it came out that same week. So the first three days of that week were 
me crying about dragons and then the rest of the week was me crying <laughs> about superheroes because it came out on a monday and then by wednesday we had our first young justice comic in years and then by friday we had new young justice episodes and it was just a week of being like all of my favorite characters are back and i'm gonna cry about them like i'm 13 again because i literally i put i listened to those books on audiobook which was a huge part of my childhood and remains something that is still super important to me and I think is probably part of the reason I love podcasts and when it, I pre-ordered it it came in the mail as an audiobook I put it in to my cd player in my room and just sat there for several hours just like sitting there listening to this story and as soon as it started and they started playing like the intro music into the narrator from the original books back to talk about these characters again, I just immediately started tearing up and I'm like, pull yourself uh -huh. together. Nothing's happened yet. Pull yourself together. And then throughout the entire story, they would like, I teared up at the mere mention of like characters I loved and like what they were doing now, just being told like, oh yeah, no, she's still running her country and in her castle. I'm like, okay, that's all I needed. I'm fine. I'm fine. <laughs> She hasn't died or anything. We're all good. We're fine here. Basically. It's been out long enough that people listening to this might not even know what the series is, but I feel like I can talk about it and not worry about people being like spoilers. But spoilers for, for a it. second here. One of my favorite moments in this short story collection, despite the fact that like I loved all of the big moments, I loved that there's an entire short story from everybody's favorite dark and emo dragon rider boy, what he's been doing for the past year in there. And that's great. And we get the weird eccentric character wrote a memoir and we got to read part of that that was an excerpt written by the main author Chris Rapellini's sister who inspired said eccentric witch character and then she got <laughs> to write her memoir and it's chaos and wonderful and I'm like all of that is great but one of my favorite moments is when randomly in the middle of like at near the beginning of the third story because all of these stories were structured as like here's what Aragon's doing and now someone is going to come in and tell him a short story frame narratives <laughs> he's just working on something and for whatever reason he starts thinking about aria who was his kind of his love interest for the series but they were like a weird thing where he's like i'm kind of in love with you and she's like cool i'm dealing with a lot of ptsd and trauma and also i'm a hundred year old elf so like maybe not but we're friends and <laughs> i loved them and shipped them as a 13 year old and as an adult i have complex feelings about how their relationship is complicated and I love it but there is a brief mention of the fact that while they are now both in different countries because of the way the series ended and they are both very busy because she is a dragon rider and queen of the elves and he is trying to raise a bunch of dragons in a different part of the world they still try to make time to basically have magic Skype calls uh -huh. and I'm like I'm here for it this is wonderful <laughs> and it's literally just framed as like they are both very busy young leaders but every now and then they have a chance to like check in and they both wish that they had more time to, you know, actually have friendships. And I'm like, this, I like this. This is a three sentence moment, but I'm here for it. <laughs> it made my tiny 13 year old shipper heart very happy of like, oh, oh, my, my childhood fantasy OTP. You guys still interact. Good. You have a call every now and again. Magic Skype calls. Stones of far speech. We're all there for it. <laughs> Basically. Yeah. And it's something that you see a lot, because there have been a lot of revivals and a lot of returns to classic media in the last 10 or 15 years, and some are better than others. A lot are better than others. Yes. A chunk of them are not great. But there is that magical moment where you're sort of back in with the characters that you love, and it feels right. 
even just for a second when you're starting. And I think my favorite examples are that. There was one moment I had when I was watching the first of the new Muppet movies. (laughs) And you see Kermit getting the band back together. And, like, he goes to visit Gonzo. And I was just, like, in that moment, I'm just, like, like, where he walked through all the portraits. And it's all portraits of, like, from the old things. And I'm just, like, everything that has happened is true. It's all part of it. And, like, I felt seen in that way. Where I'm, like, oh, you know. There was a movie in this universe where Fuzzy and Kermit were twins, and you could only tell the difference between bears and frogs because bears have hats. And that's fine. And, you know, you see Gonzo with the chickens around him, and you go, oh, Gonzo and Camilla. And then it's like, hey, my 18-month-old son was sitting watching Muppet Babies, and I had to kind of pat him on the head and go, you know, your dad used to watch Muppet Babies when he was little. And, like, having that link back to the older media just makes sense in that new media it's just something that's really great and i really enjoy it yeah and again say what you want about you know because yes i mean there is a big star wars prequel shaped thing that we could talk about (laughs) but i don't want to it's depressing but there is something great about coming back to something and feeling like the world has been lived in like there's that great bit in the last jedi where luke is back inside the millennium falcon and he's just touching stuff yeah because it has been what 20 or 30 years since he's been there and it's like jesus i'm back you know i'm back in my childhood bedroom everything seems so small now yeah that week where both of these things came out for me was very much that because listening to that new christopher paulini book when i tweeted about it and how i'd finished the book i literally was like it felt like coming home sitting in that world and sitting with those characters and being able to see where they all were and feeling like the author understood that even though this story is about Murtag, this story is about Angela, and this story is about an Urgle legend, it still felt like the author was like, those are these stories, but I know that you as a reader care, so I am telling you where the queen of the humans is, I am telling you where the queen of the elves is, I am telling you where all of them are, because I know you need to know. And I'm like, thank you, I feel seen, (laughs) because it's just the... Yeah, if, if they didn't say those things, then he would be doing you a disservice for paying as close attention as you did. Yes. And so it was just it was just that feeling of being like, I get to return to this world and this world has continued and I am lucky to be in it. And it was wonderful. And then a few days later, getting to do the same thing with Young Justice and seeing where all of my favorite characters are now, some of them in good places, some of them in not so great places. I was going to say, I haven't seen the new season yet, but I presume it's Young Justice. You come back from a time skip and things are going to be bad. It was only a two-year time skip this time around, so it wasn't wasn't five years. Yeah, there's going to be an inflatable underwater jerk, and no (laughs) one's going to like him. So... He's not around this season and hasn't been mentioned, and I'm not sure if I should be worried or not. <laughs> Literally, uh, like, after a couple of episodes, it dawned on me. I was like, so Lagoon Boy's not around. I don't know what that means, <laughs> but we'll find out. Sayonara, toxic rebound fish. But, like, that, if I can say, I, with not revealing any of the major season-wide spoilers but the one thing with young justice with those first three episodes that came out that first episode that came out watching it for the first time curled up with my morning cereal and getting to watch young justice like a saturday morning cartoon again for the first time in seven years getting to sit down and watch that in the first episode through a series of stuff that was addressed in the comic and a bunch of other things and the fact that we've had a two-year time skip by the end of the first episode 
Superboy and Miss Martian get engaged. Ah! (laughs) Yes. I screamed, as we pointed out in our Whelmed episode talking about it. I screamed so loudly that something fell off the bookshelf behind me. (laughs) (laughs) And then I had to pause the episode because I was happy crying too hard to, like, pay attention. And I had to, like, get up and take a walk for a second and then sit back down and continue with the last five minutes of the episode. But that was very much a moment of my 13-year-old fangirl just burst into tears, and so did I. And because just like how far we've come, how far we have come. 13-year-old me never could have imagined that we would get to something like that. And me now as an adult is still like, I am still so invested in these two and their relationship, and I'll just go cry now. It's fine. Okay, so at what point do you find some reason to get a Super Martian tattoo? <laughs> it's going to happen, Emily. It's not. It's not. I am, t- I am too... I am too afraid of tattoos. <laughs> like, to be perfectly honest, I am too worried about that level of, like, permanent change to my body. <laughs> Especially as someone who, like, is an actor and stuff. It's like, if you're doing, like, permanent changes to your body, it can get a little iffy. But also, I'm just, I'm scared of needles and pain and making that kind of commitment. <laughs> that said, you have made a commitment to a television show that I think may have outlasted the majority of your relationships with the exception of your immediate family. <laughs> so, I mean, what's a little tattoo? Because <laughs> you, because you, uh, okay, I will ask the uncomfortable question. When do you or did you turn 21 again? <laughs> I turn 21 in about a month. <laughs> Okay, so this will be coming out round about your 21st birthday. And you've been watching Young Justice since you were 13, right? Yes. So that will have been eight years. And what would you 21? Eight years is a little over a third of your life. Yep. And part of that life you don't remember. That's definitely how math works. Yes. See, <laughs> you you got to break it down to the numbers. Just to add that gif of the lady with all the numbers swirling around her head. So, yeah, this is a significant relationship. <laughs> And, and hey, that's fine. I'm okay with that. I'm not judging. <laughs> but with that, and with that engagement, the fact that literally I have so firmly established myself and my Superheroes in Love brand that on Twitter, after those episodes came out, like at least five people tweeted at me to be like, are you okay? Yeah. <laughs> are you alive? Are you still breathing? And I'm like, I'm not. I'm dead. There will be no more whelmed. I... <laughs> Hello, I am Emily's ghost. It's very cold where I am. Yes, to the point that literally on on our DC Daily episode that I got to be a part of and Skyped in to that episode when they asked us, like, what, what was your favorite moment from this season? Before I could even talk, they edited it out to make it flow better. But before I could even say anything, Rich and Neil both just started laughing and looking straight <laughs> at me. And I'm like, I get it. I know I'm predictable, but of course it was the engagement. <laughs> It amuses me to no end that literally both of them have also talked about the fact that when watching these episodes, they watched several of these episodes together at one point, things would just happen and they'd be like, oh, they've killed Emily. And then later that day would be like, so that scene, I'm like, yep, I'm fine. It's fine, guys. I'm fine. They could feel the psychic resonance, like a million minds crying out at once and it being suddenly silenced. the, The phrase, oh, no, they've killed Emily became something that we say to describe certain Young Justice scenes. 
because that's just what the season's been doing to us. This is your life now. Isn't it great? Yeah. It's weird and it's wonderful and it's fine. This is fine. Everything's fine. It was, a liter- it was literally our mantra when I flew all the way across the country for the first time for a professional gig with DC Entertainment. Every now and then me and Rich would just look at each other and be like, it's fine. This is fine. Everything is fine. Everything is fine. And on that note, I think we should wrap things up. So, Emily, (laughs) if people wanted to find your stuff on the internet and see you yelling and screaming about teen superheroes, where would they go? You can find me yelling and screaming and occasionally talking, like, critically and smartly and calmly (laughs) on Twitter at at Emily of Arden, E-M-I-L-Y of A-R-D-E-N. Or you can find me over on Whelmed, the Young Justice Files podcast on any of your podcatchers or on YouTube. We're at the YJ Files on Twitter, so you can find us there. If you want to find my Greatest Showman essay or any of my other podcast work, you can go to emilyofarden.wordpress.com is I think the current link for that and it's also on my Twitter so if you go there and just look at my bio you can see that you can read that essay you can read a different essay I wrote about the importance of romantic relationships in Infinity War and Mad Max Fury Road it's a comparison that makes sense I promise and you can find all of my podcast guest appearance and other stuff that I've done across the internet there if you want to check out my work Fantastic. Well, thank you so much for coming back, Emily. Thank you for having me. And so I was going to make a greatest showman joke, but I can't. I can't. We've been too sincere. I can't be joking. Thanks for coming on. Thank you for having me. Right here, right now, I put the offer out. I don't want to chase it down. I know you see it. You run with me and I can't cut you free out of the drudgery and walls you keep in. So trade your typical for something colorful. And if it's crazy, live a little crazy. You can play it sensible, a king of conventional, or you can risk it all and say. Thank you very much to Emily Booza for her time. This is actually a first on the show, because when Emily first came on, she was not old enough to legally be allowed to drink in the United States of America. Congratulations, Emily. And since you're just starting out, I will give you something that uses some of the same ingredients that I made for your mocktail last time, with an adults-only kick, but you'll still be able to drink it. Remember, you're just starting. Take your time. And so I present the spinning ring. In a shaker full of ice, combine one ounce of botanical gin, one ounce of elderflower liqueur, St. Germain if you can find it, one ounce of cold black English breakfast tea, and half an ounce of lemon juice. Shake vigorously and strain into a cocktail glass. Guaranteed to let you fly through the air with the greatest of ease. Enjoy! I'm trying to hold my breath Let it stay this way Can't let 
The Matthew View is recorded in Leichhardt, New South Wales, Australia, and is written, hosted, and edited by yours truly, Lucas Brown. New episodes are released every second Thursday with a bonus episode in between. And if you'd like to be a guest on the show, simply send an email to themathofyou at gmail.com and tell us what you'd like to talk about. You can follow the show on Twitter at themathofyou, and you can follow my wacky adventures at Lokified, L-O-K-I-F-I-E-D, on Twitter and Instagram. If you have a few dollars kicking around and would like to directly support the show, you can go to patreon.com slash Lokified and pledge as little as a dollar a month. Or you can pledge as much as you want. You could buy me a new laptop. I would be extremely impressed by that. Patrons get bonus cocktail recipes, physical mail, and I would just really appreciate it a whole bunch. If you'd like to support non-monetarily, you can go to Apple Podcasts in the country of your choice and leave a five-star rating. It'll help people find the show. You can also write a review, and I'll read it out. Won't that be nice? If you like the music I play on the show, there's a Spotify playlist for that. Go to bit.ly slash themathofyou, with capitals at the beginning of each word, to find a Spotify playlist going all the way back to episode one. That's every song I've ever used, including this one. As you might have guessed, it's Never Enough, as performed by Kelly Clarkson. And yeah, doesn't it just core you like an apple? I update the playlist as soon as the episode goes live, so make sure you subscribe and get the new music in your ears. Next week, I'll be talking to DM, podcaster, and producer Neil Powell about a subject very close to my heart. That's right, we're heading back to the Beast Wars. Join me, won't you? Still too little. These hands could hold the world, but it'll never be okay. I'm really going to have to update my Google Hangouts picture. That is a really old picture. That's like <laughs> five years old. I still don't have a Google Hangouts picture because I just keep forgetting to add one. So it's better than mine, which is nothing. <laughs> My Skype picture did a thing where it was like, oh, do you want to use your LinkedIn photo? And I'm like, sure, I suppose. Because at the time I was having some interviews and stuff yeah. through Skype. So I'm like, yeah, yeah, I probably should. Except for my LinkedIn photo is a professional looking headshot that my friend Margaret took because she was like, oh, I need people to fill out my portfolio. I need to be able to, you know, hand someone like 20 shots. Yeah. Yeah. Anyone who's not busy today, drop in. And so I dropped in. But then she was like, okay, you can't wear your glasses because I don't want to remove those reflections. And so I have this very nice-looking, very professional, glasses picture. And people look at it and they go, who the hell is that? <laughs> I'm like, it's me. As someone who Shut also up. wears glasses, I understand. Yeah, yeah. Actually, I'll see if I can screenshot it. Hang on. It's, like, I look at it even now and I'm like, wow, that's a good photo. I don't normally look like that. <laughs> Hang on. Oh, God, that means I have to log into LinkedIn again. So it's immediately going to tell me, Oh, you want to, like, send messages to, like, 15 people? And I'm like, I'm pretty sure I don't. <laughs> and now I'll close LinkedIn, never to go back to it again. Are you ready for serious face? Sure. <laughs> Sending do-do-do, do-do-do. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, that does, yeah. No, I, I get it. Like, yeah, that doesn't, <laughs> no. Glasses change what a face looks like. It's a very nice picture. Thank you. But... Yeah, uh, Margaret's a very good photographer. <laughs> also, it was at a studio, and they had those, like, double umbrella lights and diffusers yes. and everything. So it was just like, that is also my look of, I'm holding this face so I don't instantly flinch and go, gah! <laughs> Basically.
all the fancy lights. It was at one of those studios uh, when I was like 13 that I got uh, advice that I still give to people I'm taking photos of now, which is that, you know how everyone thinks they're going to blink in a photo? Yeah. Well, the way to tell if you've blinked in a photo or blunk, as the past tense nearly was when I said that, uh, the way to tell if y'all done blunk is when you close your eyes and someone uses a flash, you see orange and red and yellow because it's like reflected through your eyelids. If you see white when someone does a flash and you blink, that's just reflex. So you gotta think for a second, did I see red or did I see white? And if you saw red, then yeah, you done blunk. <laughs> Interesting, science at work. Science. It's like one of those, weird, those um, you know when you'll like look at a bright light or something and then you'll close your eyes and see a pattern. It's like when you find out that that's, oh no, I'm actually seeing the reflections of the nerves at the back of my eyes rather than the actual thing. It's like when you hear that for the first time, you're like a little bit weirded out, but then you think it's kind of cool. So you mean me right now? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, Luke. (laughs) I was today years old when I learned that. Oh, there you go. (laughs) Or, uh, yeah, uh, I was saying to my friend Camille hates the idea of microscopes. She's like... I don't, like, even when I was a kid, she's like, I still don't believe that what you're looking at is what's there. She feels like it's a reflection and she's just seeing the inside of her eye and that makes her uncomfortable. I'm like, no, you're seeing what's on the slide, I promise. And then I'm like, is that like when you wear a pair of glasses that are a little bit further from your face than you're used to and you realize you're seeing the reflection of the edge of your eye and the side of your cheek just above your, your cheekbone there? And she's like, no, uh, now I'm going to look at, I don't want to look at that, Lucas. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it's a lot. Science, (laughs) science is a lot. Bodies are strange, man. All right, I suppose we should properly get started. Maybe. So it's just like I'll even point to um, where was film with this? There was reason, I'm sure. Um, (laughs) Oh, I completely blanked on it. Um. Damn it! Oh, it's gonna happen. No, I've lost it. There was there was something else that was a re- I was an example I was leading up to where it was the real thing. It no, I'm, it's it's completely forgotten. <laughs> Damn it! All right, keep talking. Go for it. It'll come to me. Uh, I don't know. I think I have, I think I have run my course on that train. Um, I yeah, I loved The Greatest Showman. 